Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a safe space for people who don't really know what a zoo is. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with James Winter, our trusted foodie navigator. Oh, hello, I came in a bit early. <laughs> You're too shocked about the zoo comment, yes, aren't you? I am. That's just thrown you completely. I'm not sure, I know <laughs> what I a zoo do. is, what do I? I know nothing about it, should I? I'm not sure. And on today's show, grab your tin helmet, Tommy gun. And your champagne flutes as we're heading back to World War II to dine with both Winston Churchill and the rest of us as we explore the world of rationing during the 1940s and what that meant for us Brits and of course the man in charge. So we shall eat with them on the beaches, we shall eat with them on the streets, we will never give them spam as we take a journey to the centre of World War II food. Hello James. Hello, what an intro that to that, they're getting so floral in their language i love it overwritten oh wait no i've got something for us here hey oh i need to get to, yeah of course Sound effect. absolutely i'm about to get under the table isn't that the instinct <laughs> it's got it's the budget gone there on a the sound effect i tell you what we actually once i was doing a show turn back time the high street and we turned the whole high street back to um second world war it was a bit weird because we, we ran the shops but on this one we set one of these sirens off in the night. Now, I've never been in an air raid, thank goodness, and I certainly wasn't around during the war. And yet still, this sound didn't half set me on edge. There's something about it that just made me properly... Ooh, it was horrible. Horrible feeling, even though we were just... Well, there's a, I mean, start going to, before we get into the meat of today's podcast, there is, there's a lot of science into the kind of inherent... Uh, responses to certain inputs which is in our DNA fabric I mean just this week I was reading a very interesting article about the responses of mice to the uh, pheromone given off by foxes in the wild right and the smell of whatever it is that foxes give off can cause terror and fear in mice that have literally never been out of a laboratory box let alone seen a fox face to face and understand what it means and it creates a response in them of abject fear really? the very first time they they smell it you know regardless so woven you know, into their dna they they know what absolutely over generation is. upon generation there are certain things in us that are inbuilt responses and we have no control over them so maybe that's one of them good look okay that's very good okay great well um this obviously this podcast as 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 we have been relentlessly thrashing the dead horse that is our dream dinner party one of the ones that people keep writing in about and saying you must invite is winston churchill and we've been delaying that because we thought well if you're going to talk about winston we do need to talk about rationing and the second world war and open it up because it is a really really uh interesting area to uh, to explore apparently he did say i found a quote from him in in i'm not gonna do the voice in the course of my life i have often had to eat my words and i must confess i've always found it a wholesome diet it's quite nice isn't it um which is very <laughs> good but uh, so yes i thought we would look into our winston and all the things around him but more specifically what everyone was eating in the sort of 40s and, and early 50s so to do mm. that we obviously need a guest host and once again, back by popular demand, Britain's finest food historian and journey to the centre of food stalwart, never has been so much been owed by so many to so few, or in this case, just one person. It's Mark Meltonville. Hello, Mark. Hello there. Welcome back. Welcome to the war. I won't put the siren on again. No, I'm, I'm just wondering, having heard what James said, is that so, one of the only sounds I know that we've got an inbuilt fear of is wolves? We, we can never, none of us have ever been bitten by a wolf. I don't think any of the listeners have. But if we're out in the evening and we hear a wolf howl, 
it sets human beings on edge because there's been a lot of centuries when that wasn't a good sound. Is that siren a very similar tone to a wolf? Oh. Oh. That's remark. You said two remarkable things. Firstly, you said none of our listeners are bitten by a wolf, and I would wager <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly a number of them as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the pictures engaged. I'm going to be sent now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's got a similar tone, isn't it? When it, so we're actually programmed to be scared of wolves. Um, we've spent we, we, we see in color, which means we don't see at night very well. Which means night is scary. And we light fires. We've done it uh, all of our history as hominids. So we sit round a fire, which we all know is a really good thing. And we sit there and eat, which is where that study comes into what I look at. But when you can't see outside past the fire very well because of your colour vision, which helps us in the day, then every sound at night is a potential danger. And of course, if you've seen wolves and seen what they do to your sheep, cattle, goats and so on, you're going to have a pretty healthy respect for them, even if you're not sure whether they're going to attack you. So it's, it's something that we've been fearful of for generations wow yeah. woven wow. into us i can see sounds. why i mean it does even even thinking about a, a, a wolf howl across the, the sort of misty forest now would send shivers through your very core wouldn't it i remember once being at a, a wildlife park somewhere in the cotswolds and and i don't know why it chose to do this but the male lion decided to let the zoo nobody was about but i'd never heard a sound quite like that before and that whoa, it's incredible isn't it it's much you hear yeah. it on tv and you don't realize how um the reverberations that when you hear it in real life. Oh, absolutely. It came from everywhere. In my memory now, it's like thunder. I mean, it literally felt like the ground was shaking. And you go, what on earth is that? I mean, sort of go, what's well, a lion? Have you never heard a roar? Go, no, but I didn't expect it to literally crack open the ground. We were once filming in a no, cage. We went to one of those places. We were doing a, I can't remember what it was. We were doing wildlife for filming. And we went into a cage with a um, black panther. And it was, we had it so that the, it was basically right above us, like literally about a foot away, but there was a perspex uh, pane between us and it. So we could get a shot, literally all of us looking up at it. It was quite intimidating anyway, because it was a small space and it was literally just perspex. But he jumped in, and they're big old boys, as you know, and then he just looked straight at me and those, those eyes and something very deep inside me. Just went, oh God. <laughs> it was like a primeval thing in me. Yes. It just shriveled up. I imagine up. that was yeah. all your exterior parts were trapped inside. Exactly it. Something then, very small in your head went, I'm food. <laughs> exactly. Good link, Mark. Back to food. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> Look at that. That's all right. My mind. He's a pro. I have a side anecdote before we... I had a similar thing on a personal trip to another wildlife zoo. We weren't filming, but. I, it was the day I realised that, that tigers are stripy all over when you go up to a tiger with your small child to look at the glass screen of his giant pair of tiger testicles squished <laughs> up against the screen. And you go, ooh, oh, they're stripy. He's, stripy. he's got stripy testicles. <laughs> How marvellous. You see, this is why anyway, this podcast is going to win awards. Cut. This is why it's going to be award-winning. People, people are going to go away with this tomorrow. And anyone listening to this, much as you might not like it, that's the, literally the one thing you're going to take away from this podcast today. Mark, everything you're going to say from here on, we may as well not bother. No, <laughs> I, I can be as incorrect as possible now. It doesn't, I'm not, I've got no fear over getting my facts wrong. Nothing. <laughs> Stripey balls all the way. Um, so I have no idea how I can stri- segue between Stripey balls and Winston Churchill, so I'm not going to bother. Um, yes, so Winston, let's start with Winston, but also... Mm-hmm rationing i mean it's an interesting time in general but certainly food wise mark tell us a story i'll tell you a story well the difficult thing about looking back at history is we know what happened 
That's a silly thing to say, but it completely clouds your view. And I don't look at the last hundred years an awful lot, but I have done on various occasions. And you realise people people forget simple truths about something like a world war. Firstly, how devastating it was to everybody. And the perspective when it comes to rationing is, is one of the two arguments that the the British government had to have at the start of this this war that was only 20 just over 20 years after the first world war something that had devastated the planet had wiped out a generation and here it was about to start again mm-hmm. you are a small island 800 miles long the rest of europe is being overwhelmed by a new aggressor you don't have any allies at the start. We know it turned out not so bad. It was a very hard fight, but people joined us in. If you go back to 1939-40, the Russians are not on the Allies' side. They're still on the Axis side. The Americans are not involved, and we don't know if they're going to be. So you've got this tiny island that's got to sit back for five minutes and go, can we do anything about this? And very realistically had to look at whether... Um, we were going to have to come up with some sort of peace terms. They've only just released some of the um, some of the details in the last few years, and the two things that were on the mind of the government, first one was, if we are bombed in our cities, can the British people stand it? And that was, they came to the conclusion that the resilience of the British would be that they would get more and more resigned to, to, to win the harder someone fought them. So that was the, the opinion, turned out to be true. And the other one was... Can we feed ourselves? What's going to happen? So uh, the simple statistics of uh, British food in 1939 is that nearly 80% of it was imported. Never? Yep. um, Really? You'd never imagine? All of our cheese, sugar, fruit from around the world. We were dependent... All of our cheese? Sorry, all of our cheese. No, 70% according to the uh, data of the government data. But that's a lot of the (laughs) cheese. Um, Most of our cooking fats were brought in. We, We... were possessors of the largest empire there's ever been. You use your empire to provide for you. So all of our food, or large proportions of our food was coming in. Uh, We imported about half of our meat, um, huge amounts of cereal coming in from Canada. So all the grains coming over. Uh, So when, if you lose control of the the, the Atlantic, which they realised might happen at first, the big question was, How are we going to feed the British people? Can we feed the British people in a way that they can continue to do the war war work? Can we feed troops? Can we feed the workers? Can we feed the ordinary man? And that that was the first question at the start of a conundrum, isn't it? Because I'm thinking now, could we? I appreciate the population is probably what certainly Um, million more now, but uh, fifteen, fifteen million more. But could I mean could 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 we even in the war could we feed ourselves? I mean that's a, a. the question of this well well i'll go through the the actual little report later but yes they tasked a selection from university of cambridge to go away and do an experiment in uh, late uh, in december of 1939 they were sent away to experiment on what they describe as volunteers i'm not sure they were all volunteers and they put them <laughs> on a put them on a ration and and uh, and worked them hard to see whether the 
nutrition they could get out of this ration from Britain would actually allow them to do hard physical work and continue to be healthy. So, so they the, knew right at the start the ration. They knew they had to they had to cut back. That yeah, was immediately they, understood. The first, I say we're not more than just over twenty something years from the First World War. They tried not to ration during the First World War. The government was under the opinion that uh, the best way at that time was business as usual. So don't ration food. Don't make out there's anything wrong. We're going to win this. It didn't work. By the time you got to 1917 they're having to ration uh, a lot of foods so as they went into the second world war they worked out now that's one of the first things we're going to have to do is make sure that the food goes to the right places and and rationing isn't just isn't just food i mean the first thing to be rationed as war broke out in 1939 was petrol stop people driving around that don't need to of course food yeah. food wasn't yeah. until yeah. um the january of the next year 1940 when they started off with things like bacon butter sugar and so on and it just got added to and added to and added to well to be fair though i mean that's not that's not easing is it's starting with bacon butter and sugar that's it's not all good easy. no that's going straight for the jugular that is but was that because those were the products that we were importing or, yeah, or just yeah, part, yeah it was the it, you start off rationing the things that you're having problems getting hold of and you keep adding to that as as access to transatlantic trade got more and more difficult you've got to work out what happens economically as well because anything that you don't ration if you're not very stupid you realize the price of that's going to go through the roof and that did happen um one of the things they introduced uh, after after the first year was something that people have heard of called the british restaurant yeah what is british, that mm. british restaurants so there's about two thousand of them and they were local authority run restaurants where you could get a three course meal for nine pence and it was very much controlled. This had come out of the fact that restaurants didn't start off being controlled. And so if you and me have got a little bit more cash, because there's always someone with a bit more money, you started eating out every night. And that immediately creates... That's circumnavigated rationing. Yeah. Uh, so, So people who had a little bit more cash were buying off ration things or going to restaurants. So you start having to control that. Uh, for fairness otherwise it, it, you end up with this two-tier system really quickly unfortunately there was a two-tier system because you can't help that well yeah of course and, money talks in these uh, situations it's it? not just money it's situation um i did some work a few years ago when when we had the anniversaries of ve day and um uh d-day and so on I, I got asked to do various things about ration food and i realized that the biggest misconception especially in britain of people is that when you use the word ration People think you're given it. I didn't realise that. You do not get given the wartime ration. It is your maximum allowed purchase. See, that? I'm exactly right. You <laughs> tend to think rationing means the government is supplying you it. So you get that people have the impression that someone turned up every week with this ration box. No, no. You got a ration book you registered yourself at your local shop so that was the shop you could go to you could only go to and one the, shop is that the way it worked or for for each each different commodity you could rash you could register yourself at a uh, corner shop there aren't any supermarkets yet you could re- uh, you'd register yourself at one baker at one butcher a fish shop that was your one and then the government rationed the food that came to that shop to the number of people registered on it if you had the money and i got quite a, a shock this this was a few years ago i was talking about this at, at, at an event somewhere and this chap came up to me he'd been a young child in the war and he'd lived in manchester and everyone talks about the ration and dig for britain and how they kept rabbits and chickens and grew all the vegetables they could in their garden and he said yeah i lived in a back-to-back house in manchester with a stone yard ah 
we could grow nothing, we had nothing, and my mum and dad couldn't afford that ration. We never got half of it. And that really brought it home to me that this is not uh, an allowance, it's just all you were allowed. There's quite a difference. Now I'm just going to put the ration books away for a second to say thank you to our sponsors this week, because this week the podcast is sponsored by Better Help Online Therapy. And we talk a lot on this show about the importance of nostalgia and memory and happiness when it comes to food and how that can increase our mental health and and happiness and especially over the past couple of years I think all of us have started to become much more aware of how we need to maintain strong and energetic mental health and the challenges that we all face in our daily lives and the good news is one of our sponsors is here to help BetterHelp is a customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to or you're just sitting there in your tracksuit bottoms. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So you don't have to take a long time thinking about this. If you really need help or even if you just want to check it out, it's really simple and easy to do. You should give it a try. Over 2 million people already have and the great news is as they are our sponsor BetterHelp and Journey to the Centre of Food can give you 10% off the first month at betterhelp.com slash journey so to take advantage of this and to try out a really important and great service go to betterhelp that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash journey Right, let's head back into the world of rationing. Were prices for things controlled by the government yes, somewhere? Yes, yeah. they, they put in a bit, it's, it's quite topical, it's a similar way that the government has stepped in during the, uh, the last year to try and help out by giving money to different industries. They did the same. They subsidised a lot of different industries to try and keep the prices down, otherwise the price would go through the roof and once again those without much money couldn't afford any items uh, but it didn't it, it worked and it didn't work um they didn't want to ration fish because they wanted to keep the fishing fleets going but the fishing fleets go out where the u-boats are oh god the same was for for most things the the amount of everything started to decrease it it it, uh, it wasn't very easy and by way of by way of context actually for our for our listeners because we have lots of listeners around the world we're very lucky people all around the place and obviously this sounds like a very british centric podcast but but and you were probably wondering why are we talking about something that happened well, 60 years ago 70 70 years ago sorry um well actually because rationing is 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 something that's quite hardwired into all of our minds all of our grandparents i'm pretty sure will have told us about it i remember seeing ration books and being quite fascinated with it but i think it also is born from what you've said which is we're never we're never far away from knowing that we're an island and especially with the recent brexit things and all that carry on we we're always acutely aware of this idea of sort of supply and so whilst this is very specifically britain during the war and i don't know whether anyone else i don't know if australia or america or anyone else had had rationing but um i think it also speaks to this idea of supply lines that we're all kind of interested in now because we live in this interconnected world and covid's kind of taught us that that can stop so i think part of the fascination for this goes beyond just second world war nostalgia and sort of into well actually how can a country survive nowadays even you know with rationing and things like that right what i've found fascinating looking into this is how much it affected not just the war years but the generations after and some of it is still rattling on um we were unusual in britain we tried not to ration bread a lot of the european countries had to ration bread we didn't we 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 managed to keep bread going but 
you've got to get rid of all those different like, you walk into a baker's now there's 36 different sorts yeah. of bread you can't have that you have to have one or two loaves that everyone makes that's the same size and it got nicknamed the government loaf and what shocked the nation was it was brown and that hits into historic psyche that people do not like historically brown bread Brown bread is for poor people. White bread is for anyone doing better. And there had been generations, if not thousands of years, going right back to Romano times when the sieved flour, the white flour went to the free and the brown bread making flour went to the enslaved. It has been in European psyche and thence into the Americas right the way through our history. Brown bread is for poor people. And the moment you enforce brown bread on a nation, it, it really, really hurts. One of the things they moaned more about than anything else, and anyone who grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, will remember that uh, until the rise of the artisan baker, white bread was the thing that everybody ate. It carried on. It forced that back out into people's lives that you ate white sliced. Yeah, of course. Like real people. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't ration bread, frankly. That is the giddy, that for me, the giddy limit. Because I'd say 96% of my diet is bread. Uh, if, it was, if, it was, if it was rationed, I'd be only done. I just fade away to nothing, I think. I think it's Yeah. Another thing it had an effect on, which we've talked about before, is beer. Because beer is cereal. And if you make a lot of bread out of barleys and wheat and so on, you don't have an, an much of it for making beer. So one of the effects on the beer making, because uh, there was less barley and there was a lot less sugar to add mm. to get a higher alcohol uh, level. So the not-so-good beer that we remember from the 70s and 80s was, again, the direct result of... The, uh, the wartime rationing and the fact that the beer went thinner and weaker and it took us a long time to get well, over Henrietta, it. Henrietta, our rare tea lady who came on, explained to us how the modern day tea bag and the rubbish level of tea we have now is again another hangover from rationing mm. in the war when we were told that's all you can drink. Well, that's how I was going to ask because beer, beer wasn't rationed as such in a, as, a, as a product, but obviously the raw ingredients were very hard to get hold of or very expensive, yeah. weren't they? So the quality goes down, the body, as we know in beer, went down and, the, and it got a lot weaker. So, but even 20, 30 years after the war, the, the state of the English pint was sort of thin and not very strong. And it's taken another 30 years to come back to where we were 100 years ago. It heavily hit cheese production in Britain the milk you really want the milk divided equally between drinking milk which is good for workers good for kids they wanted to make sure that a lot of milk went to children the rest of it's going to go into cheese you don't worry about cream um, and try and uh, avoid too much butter you keep the butter control see if you can mix butter with margarine and um, so it's again better if everyone makes the same cheese and again, they, they nicknamed this government cheddar. Apparently it wasn't particularly good, but it was a cheddar. But it carried on, and it carried on and on being made. Most cheese production went over to this simple cheddar. And so once you came out into the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, that's what was being made by the majority of English cheesemakers. It took till the 1980s and the dissolution of the milk marketing board for all of these artisan cheese works. Basically, people in the counties of Britain suddenly remembered or discovered the wonderful cheeses that you used to make in that county, and it came back. But it's that's only 30 years back. So everything you so said, this is Jay. well before the, the time of sort of protected areas of, mm. of origin so yeah for cheesemakers of wensleydale could quite happily be allowed to make a cheddar mm. if that's all they were allowed to make you know yes. it wasn't it wasn't controlled in that way was it no no and, and cheddaring i don't think you can oac cheddar cheddaring is a process 
and not mm. a not a place. I think. Don't uh, well, we'll it have is to a look place. Back. It is a place, but it's not. <laughs> it's a bit. It's there are certain things which you have problems um, giving a, a an origin to, and I think cheddar's one of them. Cheddar can okay. be made in Canada, in Australia, in Britain. It's a process. It's it's not like Stilton, which is a a regional thing, or Champagne and so on. So, what are talking about uh, Champagne? How did that? Obviously, Churchill came to power later in the war years, but. He he is you know renowned for his as you said cases of champagne his brandy some of that apocryphal some of that very much part of his his imagery how, how much of that was he swilling and, and and how did he get hold of that is it because you're in the PM well you can get it off the back of a lorry <laughs> uh, no, well through the war the only thing he was famous for was the cigar and the glass of whiskey yeah. Uh, but he'd grown up as a champagne drinker, and certainly after the war, it was one of the things he still demanded half a case with his lunch every day, <laughs> regardless regardless of when he was actually almost completely stony broke. And uh, it, uh, one of the fun things about Churchill is that uh, this, this famous man was forever being bailed out by his friends in later years when he was seriously in debt and, and would refused to not dine like a gentleman. So he would sit down to a proper lunch of three or four courses and a good bottle of champagne and and there's all his friends sort of trying to nudge in going yes but you you can't really afford this and it's sort of oh nonsense dear boy and yeah of course went. i can he's a fantastically <laughs> as, as, uh, i read um there's obviously the movie but I, I was lucky enough to read the darkest hour the book and it is a brilliant insight into what a fantastically complicated curious interesting entitled vulnerable delicate uh, eccentric man he was and he was hugely flawed in in many ways and it was just a just a remarkable series of events that led to where he got to but that the, it is funny when you talk about food and drink it is one of those things that repetitively comes back mm-hmm. with him because it became quite an iconic thing the fact he would eat these big elaborate what we'd consider quite posh breakfasts every day in bed and mm-hmm. the fact that he would have his champagne and his whiskey and it's funny how that is, is in sense a sort of power thing a, a hierarchy thing and defined who he was a little bit well, he genuinely had an image. We now know it. Now he he had an image. He had a brand, and that brand was a glass of whiskey and a cigar. If you saw that, that was Churchill. He he, he either he stumbled upon it or he understood it. But he he had this brand that he sold, and part of that brand was the good living. And I presume if you're going through a hard time like a, like a war, then this is the good living we're, we're fighting for and what we're going back to. What he didn't seem to understand is that in crisis, you're always ditched afterwards very quickly, and that's what happened to him. I mean, he was voted out by the autumn wow. of 45. It, anyone who's led you through a crisis is gone when it's over. It's curious, isn't it? it Ominous <laughs> words for our current Prime Minister, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> um, yeah, always turtle happens. soup. That was something he liked. Turtle <laughs> yes, soup, which yeah, is, t- you know... Mock turtle now, and that, real turtle, by the sound of things. Well, that that leads us beautiful segue there to mock what? What yes, can we mock up? My favourite uh, bit of rationing, the mock stuff. <laughs> the mock ones. Now, I've got a few recipes I want to mention, but before we go in, and we're going to laugh at some of these, and 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 we're all going to find them quite amusing, and they are. But what we've got to remember before we make fun of them is that the. People putting these recipes together, the Ministry of Food, and um, most mo- notably, a one of the first celebrity chefs, Margaret Patton, who mm. wrote 
a weekly column in the paper to try and tell you what to do. What they were trying to do was make something out of nothing. So I'm going to go through some quite weird and wonderful recipes, but the the baseline of this is that you haven't got very much, and they were trying to create variety from that little thing. So Looking we've got to give them to credit it. for what they were trying <laughs> to do. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So these are things I mean, that they the, basically wrote uh, and sort of sent out in you know weekly magazines. Well, there was for Ministry of Food, as, as Mark said. I think we used to obviously send out lots of information to everybody yes, for all sorts of yeah. things yeah i mean the first thing they did was trying to get you to grow as many vegetables as you could and the they're uh, just filled with um recipes for leeks onions and potatoes that's it. every week there's a brand new <laughs> let hey guys yeah, so, put- so can, can we can we build a picture here what is what what's what's in the store cupboard for for marguerite Patton to start yeah with? it's what's a good she, point she building from? Uh, well with the the ration stuff there's a little bit of bacon uh, there's controlled sugar controlled tea, controlled cheese, controlled jam, hardly any butter, a little bit of cooking fat. For the kids, they get their sweets controlled. Um, What about meat? uh, Is there meat? Meat meat is the only one that it's um, by price not weight so everything else cheese for instance is about eight ounces a week for a person uh, tea is four ounces sugar is 16 so they, they control the amount meat is the value of one shilling and tuppence at oh, the start that's of the war. Interesting. so you can either have can a tiny bit of tiny bit of steak or 14 kidneys it's up to oh, you like, how you it's like <laughs> countdown isn't it you might go in and go and have a little bit of a top stuff or whatever you've got under the counter there <laughs> yeah so one, also if the butcher likes you he'll give you it cheaper right i mean it's unless they've got standardized oh um, yeah. Very, very difficult because it, I mean, there's always. And you might hold a bit back for you, Jay. Yes. Like, There'll be loads under might, the counter, yes. right? If you live in the country, you'll oh, be like, right, yeah, I've got some chop seed under here. There you go. Yeah. Secret handshake. What was interesting is all of the stuff that they start printing about vegetables, we now know are being promoted again and again. Um, in her one of her columns, um, she she points out that you you know you should serve quite a lot of greens and potatoes. Um, keep uh, don't don't boil anything too long keep the vitamins in it try and cook your potatoes with skins on all, all the things that we now know to Good be true advice. and pushing is green the one that's difficult is she says um do try and eat at least one pound of potatoes a day oh really <laughs> really <laughs> well i suppose you should try during the war yeah i mean fill you up tuesday I had to find one that I tried when we did the uh, the last. What's that uh, kilos, Mark? Just uh, a conversion for the modern man. Two and a quarter. Two and hang a quarter on, no, kilos. Uh, is it? Hang on. <laughs> Might be. So around that one. A day. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. That they weren't rationed and they'll grow anywhere. They were the one thing you had lots of. Hang on, I'll, I'll do so a there's potatoes in every. Pounds to kilos. There you go. I'm doing this in my head, obviously. I'm not asking the internet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're, doing, you're doing... I can hear your keyboard. Um, <laughs> how many pounds did you say? Two and a quarter. Two, uh, two and a, a quarter kilos. A how many pounds? One pound. One pound. One pound. Oh, it says it's only, it says it's only half a kilogram a pound. Oh, right, I've got it completely wrong. Oh, well, that's still a good well, half cut, a bag of cut, potatoes. Cut, cut, cut my one out. <laughs> right, let's go. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Don't worry. But that is, you're, yeah. getting, through, you're getting through your standard bag of potatoes every yeah, two days. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, every day for how many years? Six. Yeah. Imagine. Oh, I just remembered it was the rhyme. It's the other way around. Two and a quarter pounds of jam weighs about a kilogram. I was the wrong oh, way around. Right. Oh, there we are. Oh, that was the wrong way around. Actually a rhyme, would you just bring that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no. It's rhyme though. It's a good one. If you get if you remember which way round it is. I know. <laughs> uh, yes, well, I, I was looking at it upside down. Um, <laughs> Nelson was a rubbish butchers in the Second World War. I kept giving everything yes. away. <laughs> you got any sausages? No, I've sold them all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Here's one I liked. 
and I, I tried this out and it wasn't as successful as I'd thought. I, I found a Margaret Patton's recommendation for this Friday night was curried corned beef balls. Ooh. So make yourself... <laughs> that, sound, that doesn't sound unappealing, no, I'm going to no. say. I don't There's know. a lot of corned beef, because obviously if when they could get it across the Atlantic, tinned corned beef from Argentina, from South America, quite plentiful. And so I where it came lots from. Lo- I didn't know yeah. that. I thought it was a British thing. I didn't realise it came from Argentina. No. Oh, exotic. Yeah, most... most most of the uh, uh, corned beef is Argentinian. And so by um, this has got uh, Worcester sauce, breadcrumbs, onions, curry powder, made in little balls and fried. So I'm thinking, yeah, that, that's, that's all, all right. right. I like that. Yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not unhappy with that. So that, that was a good one. Um, Does she recommend a serving suggestion for that? Um, on, a, on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> with, <laughs> with another plate full of potatoes. <laughs> exactly. Most, I, mean, I imagine mostly. everything comes with yeah, potatoes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's one, one, one I thought of as less successful, we're back onto the mock, is mock duck. I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, oh is wow. this I chicken, want to see mock chicken duck. with Worcester uh, sauce. Well, no, no, um, no it's, it's, it, it, it's great at first, and then it sort of falls to bits. Um, it's sausage meat. It's some apple chopped up. Um, onions grated up in there, as many um, herbs as you can find, sage, um, nice. uh, parsley, anything, anything you can. So you're basically you're making a, a herb filled uh, and slightly appley sausage meat, yeah. and you think, okay, this is good. Yeah, Where's it going? And then it's a wonderful, wonderful sentence that I will read, uh, and shape this to look as much like a duck as possible. <laughs> And then it and then it tells you to cover well, cover cover well with grease paper and bake in the oven. So it's a duck shaped creative process in the kitchen. Going, this doesn't taste anything like duck. And so we do, but so it's a duck shaped pork meatloaf. Maybe. So is there, a, is there a theme to this chapter? <laughs> no, no, these are <laughs> just a, mock anything. These I'm are, done, these are just thinking. random ones from the newspaper each week. But this opens a, as we'd call a, you know, a rabbit hole into mock everything. Oh no, no <laughs> it's see, just for there shape. is there is one worst mock crab, which I sausage meat. No, no, sausage meat. Mock crab relies entirely on you having never eaten crab before. <laughs> 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 they don't write. They don't write that. They tell you to take in a bowl because you're going to put make a sandwich out of this mock crab. And I thought, okay, this yeah, is crab good. I'll give this a go. I'll give this a go. I like yeah. crab sandwich. So I take margarine, eggs, cheese, salad dressing, and vinegar, <laughs> and make and make a mess. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Sandwich. <laughs> So it's a cheese and cream salad. Is it? Is that cheese? It is cheese, cheese, egg, and salad cream sandwich. That you're standing there saying this. This crab tastes a bit off, doesn't it? <laughs> what a part of that is crab? I don't understand. Cut, cut into a, the closest shape to a crab nope, as you no, can. They don't even bother with that. They just <laughs> whack it in a sandwich and hope and hope Eat that it no sideways. one. <laughs> yeah. Hope that no one's had a crab. Well, surely, but these um, are educated enough people that look at that going, that's just cheese yeah. and egg. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's maybe. The war, Jay. This is <laughs> yes. what entertainment was. They see, that's <laughs> just it. You, you're not allowed to criticise it. You bite into that crab sandwich and you look at me and I go, well, there is a war. There is a war. Oh, yes. <laughs> you're patriotic. <laughs> I had to come back then with a good one, with one that worked. Okay. So I consulted my sister, who has cooked most of the wartime recipes for reasons I'm not going to go into. <laughs> <laughs> and I phoned her last night and uh, she said, Oh no! I've got. A, if you're going to do funny ones, I've got a good one. She said, get get your listeners to look them up online. You can find most of these wartime recipes online. Try a vinegar cake, and it's oh, pretty God. much on point now. When people are trying to to miss out 
various ingredients missing out dairy and so on they did a lot of different recipes eggless sponges fatless sponges trying to work out ways of making things uh, and a lot of these could uh, could could find a home today and she was saying the the vinegar and the vinegar is the rising agent in it she said it's really surprising it makes a really good sponge cake so so that one that one gets a huge tick really and it works good. and you don't get any vinegar yes, works taste. fine nope yeah it doesn't have too much vinegary flavor no. then no nope, oh. no and so so i i had to give them one that uh, that really worked and um the last one that uh, i found interesting was I found I found right at the end of the war. She's she's getting desperate. She's getting, <laughs> poor I, woman. We just do this every flipping week. We're just a bag of every potatoes. Week, yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 I I glanced down and I saw rabbit surprise and I thought here we go <laughs> <laughs> here we go again. She, no, she's given no, up by this guess, point. She's up. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what the surprise is? Oh, come on. No, it isn't, is it? No, that was the surprise. It's actually rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> rabbit surprise is a rabbit stew with everything you'd expect in there, along with a handful of rice. So it's going to be a really nice, nice little stew. So I got a nasty shock at the end there going, oh, go on then. Tell me what makes a rabbit surprise. Well, it's 1945 and you're surprised there's a rabbit in it. That's what it is. Now, I, I want, that woman, honestly, can you imagine? <laughs> In the editorial conversations i just need more fake food I, come on give us something else uh, what do you got give us give you give us more i was lucky enough to work with her i i i oh, wow. I, I got to to spend a day with margaret Patton, and wow. she was a fast she was a fascinating lady how old uh, was she she's then? gone now so she was 90 it was for her 90th birthday that we'd all got together and uh, a load of us had to uh, uh sit talk to her uh it was for a radio program and we all cooked her a dish and i had the uh for the guts to do a potato dish she was very very polite yeah. <laughs> i'll give her that but she was she was wonderful still at 90 talking about all this and and pointing out you know how hard they worked to try mm. and bring some variety to people's lives and and if we maybe people found it funny then but it doesn't matter if it lightened the mood and you thought right this is never going to taste like bloody crab, didn't but on certain who, days no, you imagine who, like a cold goes, january day and you're being <laughs> served up more bloody crab sandwiches you're like oh come on now right. It's uh, I, oh, it's crap. No, there's nothing wrong with the makeup of a crab sandwich, is it? No. I mean, it's just it's just call really it something nice else. Cheese sandwich. Call it cheese something else. Call yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, call it cheese, cheese, cheese and egg salad, salad sandwich cream thing. What? Do something else. Now, some the uh, the last ones of my um, people don't always realise this is um, how long this rationing went on. Yeah, and that's the big one that people don't get. We're talking about how how relevant it is um, rationing of food and clothing and all sorts of items in britain did not end till the summer of 1954 oh my god so that is nine years later right through the coronation meaning that the coronation dish for the world was not some fancy stew mm. but another sandwich wasn't it coronation what? chicken Correct. was the one they oh, produced yeah. for us all to try that's yeah. where it came from Yes, Bloody coronation, coronation chicken, chicken was the one. I, didn't I did but it was it was produced and sent out as a recipe idea using basically some cold cuts of cold chicken with some curry powder, some apricot, things like that, rather than something fancier, because you were still right in the middle of rationing, so the nation got a chicken sandwich to celebrate. How I interesting. like it as well. So every time I, I eat that, like I'm, well. I'm basically back in rationing. Yep. Well, fair you're enough, you're back in nice. rationing times. Um, the Queen's nice, wedding cake, they had to be very careful. How You know, you don't really want the Queen to have this massive cake if get none the of you have any sugar. Get the vinegar out. Uh, they could have yeah, done. Absolutely, well, I'm thinking. <laughs> that, what they did was get scout and uh, guide troops to make a little bit 
each oh, and send it no, in. So oh, they, no, God, no. I've oh, seen my boy so doing apparently... things at Cubs. He was come home <laughs> well, to and I'm not putting that anywhere <laughs> in my mouth. Perhaps it worked rest. Now, I'm going, to fin- I got to, I'm going to finish off by going right back to the start because I mentioned that uh, University of Cambridge experiment. Yeah. And I didn't go into detail because I thought it was a really good finisher. Oh, right. he's a pro, James. He's a pro. Look at this. Yeah. Right. As I said, they went away with the, the possible problem, can we feed ourselves? And uh, they they worked out that they could have been allowed one egg, one pound of meat, and four ounces of fish a week. It's not an awful lot. Quarter of a pint of milk a day, which is nothing. Uh, four ounces of margarine, if not butter. But they allowed themselves unlimited potatoes and other vegetables <laughs> and a lot of wholemeal bread. And they went away and they did all this. Uh, they, they dug or something. They said they did intensive outdoor exercise each day to, to, to have the physical work and then reported back after three months. The scientists said that they were very surprised to, re- to find out that they were in good health and their performance hadn't dropped. So it did work. Like I said, they, they realised this was going to work. But there were problems. The first one, they said, was meal times increased in time dramatically as they ate so many potatoes and bread. <laughs> so, so they were spending so much longer eating than before. And I'm going to have to actually read from the report. They said the, the time went up. And they described... A remarkable, in speech marks, increase in flatulence. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly... <laughs> remarkable. A remarkable increase in my flatulence. Yeah, remarkable flatulence. And, and they must have measured this, a 250% increase in the volume of their poo. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Someone has been there with... Hang about, that is well, a significant <laughs> increase. <laughs> Um, so yes. rationing makes you fart. That's how I can finish on this. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, yeah, and also working by your weight distribution, they probably had sixty-five kilograms of stuff. We don't really know how much they had now because your conversions. But that is <laughs> that is some interesting studies, and I can just imagine some fantastically sort of well put out chap with a with a with a full full three piece suit on and a very thin moustache, yeah, saying, mm. and it's fascinating about their pool, two hundred fifty percent increase. Good lord! So just just to, to follow up, I mean, was everything removed from the ration at the same time, or did it did things come off it bit by bit? How did that bit, bit work? How bit by the, bit, as as yeah. the as, as things increased. But do uh, we know what was last? Do we know what the very last yeah. thing was to be unrationed? Do you know that? Not no, not off. Oh, there we go. Wait, wait. Sweet sweets were one of the late ones because kids all moan about sweets taking taking. And so the first things would be and the the one that really upset people was that. After the war ended, um, by the summer of '46, so the war's been over near, a year in Europe and nearly a year elsewhere, and we had a terrible summer, absolute dreadful weather, rain, and so bread had to go on ration. Ah. Oh. So for the next, so for the next nine years, bread was rationed when it hadn't been in the war, and that that caused an awful lot of political upheaval, and it, it was it it was uh, not a very good thing to have to do, but they, it was essential. But there were a lot of people saying, you know, if you're still being rationed, and the ration was worse in the years after, people were starting to say, well, you know, what did we fight for? What when's it going to get better? Well, I'm not it was, surprised. It was not not very not a very good time straight afterwards when you you can't just turn the rationing off because. The world is decimated. Europe is in is is in ruins. Apparently, the last uh, thing was meat as well, according to the Imperial War Museum. Right, meat was the last which one. Which sort of there makes sense, go. doesn't it? Um, 
Although the Argentinian yes. corned beef, I'm sure, kept, kept flowing. <laughs> well, it still did, didn't it? I mean, yes. it's still going today. But where, yes. So where is all the corned beef made now everywhere? Is it, is it, is it international? I thought it was quite a heavy, uh, heavy product of South America still. When did you last have corned beef? I didn't remember it from my childhood significantly, and then it just stopped. V-Day last year for the celebrations. Oh, really? I made I made curried corned beef balls, and they were not popular. <laughs> It, they increased your flatulence dramatically. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm starting to see a correlation now. I wondered why I was sat alone at the VE Day party. In, in case you're wondering, the main corned beef suppliers are uh, Brazil, uh, Uruguay, uh, Brazil again, yep. New Zealand, Jamaica, oh. Trinidad and Tobago, and some of them from South Africa. There we are. So, yep, still, yeah, produ- still not produced in Britain, though. There we are. It all comes from abroad. Goodness <laughs> me, I would never have said that. Uh, Mark, what, yeah. a, what a fascinating <laughs> trip. Well, we've been all around the, all around the various different corners of the uh, rationing aisle on this, but that was that was remarkable. Thank you ever so much. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Very, very Cheers. fascinating. Uh, we will hopefully get you back very soon with more <laughs> wonderful facts about uh, all manner of different diets and things. But for this week, thank you ever so much. James, wasn't that interesting? Oh yeah, I, I was I was struck by a, a, a advertising slogan from I think the eighties, which must be now become, you can't say Meltonville without saying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't re- I don't remember that. That one. is exactly. It was for Math- <laughs> Ma- it was for Matheson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how we're going to introduce you each time mm. now. Or ooh. That was it. I've, I love these dives into the past. I think, them, I, you know, but, you know, as we, as we, for me, you know, Mark is an advocate of this. But the more we explore the past, the more we understand the present, and and are fearful of the future normally, but hopeful. I should hope. Exactly. You know, it's it's it is wonderful to you know to go through the. Oh, here we go. The sirens are up. Is that the <laughs> siren? Oh, okay, it's time get to get the underground. But no, I, <laughs> it's a good way to play us out, isn't it? You know, and I look forward to many, many more journeys back through through the history books with Mark because there's so much to discover and so many stories and crab sandwiches crab some crab sandwiches mock crab mock crab we're going to have to try it now aren't we, <laughs> we are. until next week I think we do thanks James see you soon bye